This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to Rock Talk with Mr. Fawn. Uh, joining me on the uh, line today are Finn and Clem of the Tearaways. Their new album, We Grew Up on AM Radio, is coming out shortly. And of course, uh, the name Clem. Some of you are going, hey, I know somebody named Clem. He's in a band called Blondie, a drummer named Burke, Clem Burke. Well, that's uh, who he is. That's who it is. We have Clem Burke, of course, uh, of Blondie, but he is... In this band, the uh, Tearaways, and like I said, they have this new album coming out shortly. So we talk uh, Tearaways, we talk Blondie, and we also talk John Ferreter, who uh, was a member of the band and he passed away recently. So we get all of that, and uh, Finn, who also is in the band, we we, we delve into all these issues and all these uh, things, and absolutely fantastic interview. I think you will love it. But before we get to all of that, let me let me just talk to you about August 16th, 2019. After 40 years, uh, I took my mom to see KISS. Now, uh, the, the 40-year anniversary, if you want, was she took me to my first show on August 6th, 1979. And my mom, who is 79... Uh, this will probably be her last show. So she took me to my first, I took her to her last. And of course, everyone in the uh, KISS organization was splendid. Um, we had a chance to uh, do the uh, VIP experience, uh, thanks to them. We had a chance to do uh, a photo with the band. And uh, we had been given seats by uh, the promoter to see the show. But uh, we were given all access passes by uh, by the band, and so we watched from side stage in the pit, and then eventually for the last three songs into that little sort of VIP pit uh, area in front of the stage, and it was an incredibly mind blowing experience. You know, to start off forty years ago as an eleven year old kid just randomly in the Montreal forum, you know, corner corner seats to being uh, basically uh, part of the stage almost uh, was, was spectacular. And of course, that I think is what draws people into KISS is that there is a sense of community and a sense of family. And, you know, I had communicated this story of the 40 years to, uh, you know, relevant people in the organization. And, um, you know, I, I got back from them that, you know, this is a good story and it deserves, well, maybe not deserves, but it, it should have a good ending, good story, good ending. And so by giving us the access that we had, it ensured that. And, uh, and also I'd like to mention uh, David Garibaldi, the painter, the performance painter who's opening for the band. Uh, he had a large part in this too. He was exceptionally gracious and kind and his assistant as well. Uh, they reached out, they heard the story and they're like, hey, we want to meet your mom too. And my Lord, you know, everybody associated with that tour from Keith LaRue to Doc to the band to David Garibaldi to uh, the people running the VIP just all nice. And that's what you get when you have a band that is fueled 
by this sense of community and family and ultimately friendship. It's, it's, it's spectacular. So kudos to, to, to KISS and the KISS organization and David Garibaldi. And uh, what are you going to say? It, it, it's, it's, it, it leaves you speechless. Anyway, so um, thank you to everyone involved. Thank you for all that. If you uh, check out my Twitter at Mitch Lafon or my Facebook, the, the Rock Talk Facebook or my per, I have posted some uh, pictures and moments from that evening. And I think that if you go watch that, you will get a sense of what I'm talking about because there, there really was uh, an incredible excitement. And, you know, ultimately, it's, um, there is a sadness as well knowing that that was the last KISS show. Now, I'm hoping that they reconsider and that they go on through 2020, that they go on through 2021. And I know some folks out there are going to say, oh, well, you know, farewell tour. Listen. The Who, Pete Townsend, Roger Daltrey, started their farewell tour in, I believe, 1981 or 82, and they're still playing. Ozzy Osbourne did his No More tours in 1992, and he still plays. So, eh, you know, I'm glad that Ozzy still plays. I'm glad that The Who still plays. I'm glad that Kiss still plays, and I'm glad that I can take my kids and my mom and whoever to experience those songs that we love live. Because, as Europe would say, we are really into the final countdown. In about 10 years from now, there will be no Alice Cooper tours. There will be no Kiss tours. There will be no Quiet Riot tours. There will be no Who tours. There will be no Aussie tours. And a vast catalog of songs that we love, that are iconic, iconic, that are part of our being, will no longer be performed live in any way, shape, or form. And that will be tragic. And so, um, you know, com complainers can, com can, can, can complain all they want. I really don't care. I want to hear the songs. I, for example, at this KISS show in Montreal on August 16th, I had never seen them perform the song Crazy Crazy Nights live. And I finally did. So it took 40 years, basically, <laughs> for them to play that song at a show that I was at. And had they retired in 1997, I would have never seen that song live. So you know what? That to me is a great takeaway that I got to be patient and I got to see what I wanted to because I've always wanted to see that song live. I think it's a great song. So, um, you know, enjoy the moment, folks. Enjoy these bands. And unfortunately, like Europe says, we are in the final countdown. Do -do -do -do. I, should, I should not tr attempt any kind of music musicality. But, um, you know, in 2025, 2029, you know, we're going to look back and we're going to go, man, we're old. All our bands don't exist anymore. And that will be the real tragedy. So support the bands and uh, dear Kiss, first of all, thank you for everything and don't retire. I know you called it the end of the road tour. I don't care. Call it the, the, the road continues tour. Tell, call it the, uh, we can't go away because we love this too much. I don't care. 2021, 2022, 2023, keep going. And if the makeup and the boots and all that become too... 
prohibitive in 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 performing because it, it hurts your back or whatever, then fine, take it off. Do it unmasked. I don't care. Just keep the songs alive. And so thank you for that. And uh, here, without further ado, is from the Tearaways, Finn and drummer Clem Burke. We are speaking with Finn and Clem Burke of the Tearaways. The latest EP is Sweet Sounds of Summer and Manchester Girl. The band is about to head out on tour in the UK, uh, as we say in Montreal. Bonjour, gentlemen. How are you? Bonjour, Mitch. Steve play. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, doing great. Yeah, so well, let's quit. Let's let's talk about uh, about well. In fact, let's talk about having Clem Burke of Blondie in the band. Uh, Clem, what made you decide to to join the Tearaways? Well, uh, originally, uh, you know, I, I liked their music very much, and uh, I think uh, I saw them perform in a, a club in Malibu, and uh, we uh, became acquainted uh, through the uh, our late, unfortunately. Very sad. John Federer, our bass player, uh, dearly departed uh, just very recently, um, gave me uh, a call to kind of sub for uh, their drummer at the time who uh, had uh, suffered an injury. And they were planning on going to uh, Liverpool to perform at uh, the sort of penultimate Beatles convention. It was uh, Beatle Week in Liverpool where we uh, were going to perform at the Cavern, for instance. So... uh, I had the time to do it, so um, we went over there and, and did several shows at the Cavern. Uh, very inspiring to be in Liverpool, and uh, you know the roots of the Tearaways, uh, you know, kind of begins with the '50s and '60s music that we all know and love. And one thing led to another, and uh, I continued uh, working with them up to the point where we started recording and, and touring a bit more. And uh, we're about to uh, go over to uh, the UK again and do some shows, uh, including uh, a few at the Cavern this, this time around. So uh, very enjoyable for me because the, the, the basic uh, influences of the band, the Tearaways, are, are my basic influences as well. So it all kind of coalesced into uh, a working relationship in the end. There you go. There you go. Uh, and I'll throw this out to both of you because uh, while researching the band, I was watching a lot of these clips like Ballroom Blitz and stuff done at the Cavern Club, and I was thinking to myself, Wow, they're playing the Cavern Club where the Beatles play. How cool is that? Right. Um, well, I guess we'll start with Finn. How how was it for you to play that club? Because that's not just a club. That's the club, right? Yeah, I, th- I think we went down to Liverpool to play this sort of pop festival at the Cavern, which was on a rainy Wednesday in November, okay? So they, so we didn't know what it was going to be like and, and sort of... Uh, one of the guys putting on the show kind of wanted everybody to go see the other band in the back that was playing at the same time as us. But uh, me and the guys were like, hey, look, we were built to play this club. And it was almost like the adrenaline in being in Liverpool. I couldn't sleep the first night just even getting there because I, you know, I'd read about Liverpool and I'd, I, you know, no, known about it my whole life. And here I'm walking on Lime Street, right, or or or. I'm going by White Star where they would go, you know, the Beatles or all my heroes would go, you know, drink after playing at the Cavern. So we, anyway, we played this gig and everybody that was watching the back band, I guess, all came to see us instead of seeing the other band. And the owner of the Cavern Club just came up to us after the show. His name was Dave Heckel and just said, I want you guys, you know, you guys are something special, we think, and we would like you to come back. And, and they treated us basically as if we had known them forever, you know. Um, it was just 
you know, they got it. They knew what a tearaway was. They understood what we were doing. And uh, it was just, it was just, I don't know, how can I say a soulmate connection, you know? <laughs> um, and we've loved it ever since. People are amazing. And uh, it was great. It's been great. It really has. And Clem, let me ask you about that, because you've obviously played CBGB with Blondie, and that's one of those big New York things. What was it like for you to play a club where the Beatles played? It inspiring? Well, it's very inspiring, and actually you could uh, absolutely make that analogy. I always kind of thought of CBGB as, uh, you know, the New York version of what it must have been like to be at the Cavern back in the day and, you know, having, uh, you know, bands emerge from that sort of very intimate club scene into worldwide recognition, i.e. the Ramones or Blondie or Patti Smith or, of course, the Beatles or the Searchers or Jerry and the Pacemakers or whatever at that time, you know. You know, and, and the synergy that exists in that kind of scene uh, is also very analogous, I think, to both CBGB and to uh, The Cavern, because, of course, there were many, many bands that played at The Cavern and many, many bands that played at CBGB. And the bands that, for whatever reason, rose to the top are, are really few and far between. But I think that the uh, cumulative energy of the whole scene is what boosted those bands to worldwide recognition. And... Uh, you know, when you're in Liverpool, you actually are walking in the footsteps of the Beatles, you know. I mean, the history of the band uh, now is very preeminent on uh, the local scene there. I think there was a time when, uh, of course, they knocked down the original cavern and then they had to rebuild it across the street, et cetera, when they didn't really recognize the uh, the feasibility of really honoring, you know, the heritage, the musical heritage of uh, the city, and I think that's come to light in many, many cities around the world, whether it be Austin, Texas, or, uh, you know, London. I mean, obviously London, but uh, a lot of other cities, um, you know, are recognizing that uh, economics and music kind of do go hand in hand, which is really what happened in the U.K. with the Beatles. I mean, uh, you know, as far as generating uh, an ec ec thriving economy, you know, uh, via the music. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of comparisons and to be in, just to be in Liverpool and actually to meet the people, like for instance, uh, Julia Lennon, uh, John Lennon's half uh, sister, uh, we've met several times. And also, uh, uh, Klaus Borman on our last visit there, of course, Klaus Borman, who designed the uh, cover of Revolver and also played bass on John Lennon's solo albums and was very close friends with Astrid Kushner and uh, Stuart uh, Sudcliffe you know, the history of the whole of the Beatles in general, the choirmen, the remaining members of the choirmen, John Lennon's first band. We got to meet uh, several of those gentlemen along the way. And uh, it's just uh, all encompassing. I mean, it really is where it all began for, for the members of the Tearaways. You know, we were all a bit too young to really cite the roots of the 50s, although 50s music, of course, was integral to the sound of the Liverpool sound and the British invasion of the Rolling Stones, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, it kind of comes full circle when you're there and it just kind of like uh, lifts you up and inspires you and enables you to kind of have this really creative, hectic schedule as well. I think uh, it came to pass, I think last time over there, we wound up doing literally five gigs within 24 hours because it's an all night city when that's going on. So you can be doing a gig at three o'clock in the morning and then wind up doing another one at 10 o'clock in the morning and then another one, another one at two o'clock in the afternoon. It's, it's pretty wild. It, it, it sounds yeah. exceptionally yeah. wild. Um, before I move on but to... But in a to, very good way. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Uh, now, just before I move on to to new music and and more of the tour, you did lose John Farader recently, who who played with the band. He, he of course has represented Jerry Garcia, Ryan Seacrest, uh, Piers Morgan, and others. Um, Finn, I'll, I'll throw that to you. Just talk to me a little bit about the loss of John, and not just as a band member, but also as a person. Well, personally, uh, yeah, the loss. Go ahead, personally. <coughs> Sorry, okay. I was just going to well, say, I mean, personally, personally for me, uh, John is a person that I came to know and love over a short period of time, maybe three years, and uh, I feel as though he and I became very good friends. And uh, of course, he was very the most unassuming person because when you read off those credits and, and his kind of workaday schedule. It's really kind of hard to believe when you meet him one-to-one in the environment of being a member of the Tearaways, when all he really cared about was the music. He wasn't a person to barge into a room and start exclaiming, uh, you know, all his uh, credits, for instance. He was a very good songwriter, uh, very uh, endearing, honest individual, uh, a great friend, and we definitely all miss him. And, of course, Finn, is, it's been a lifelong friend of Finn, so I, I should let Finn... Have his uh, say, of course, on on John because he was just a great, great, beautiful man. Yeah, he he was a guy I, I met when I was 15 years old, so I've known him basically my almost my whole musical life. And uh, you know, from the beginning when we didn't have two pennies to rub together, and we'd go to Caro's to to you know to have a free a free uh, drink with syrup in our water, right? Because we couldn't afford a, a soda, right? Um, to uh, you know, to to our personal successes and then our musical successes together, um, it, the loss to me. The only way I can really explain it is sort of as if you lost ten of your really good friends. So he, he encompassed more than just a singular friend or or bandmate. When you're in a band with somebody, it's a brotherhood that's beyond. It's, it's I think it reaches almost even further than a family member. But how do you how do you equate it? So I think the best way I could say it is it's been a a loss of about ten people, ten close friends with him. Um, it was so unexpected, you know. That none of us could see foresee this at all. It wasn't like it was a long illness or or that you know that we had any warning about that this was was going to happen. So it's a tremendous loss to us. Um, you know, personally, and of course, you know, I wrote, you know, a lot of the songs with John or he wrote a lot of the songs with me, you know, he was a contributor uh, to a lot of different things for us. And uh, so that's, but I know that also knowing John, he would say, you know, you know, you, you guys have to carry on, you know, that's the whole point, you know, his whole thing was the show must go on. And, and even though it's, it was hard for us to think we had to really think about how we what we wanted to do. Um, I think we kind of came to the realization that, that this is what we do and that's what he would want. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think it's always good in spirit to keep the, the music going forward because that, that does have a healing power, you know? Um, so let's talk about going on. This band was formed in the eighties. You know, we're going on yeah. to almost 40 years together, almost. Uh, talk to me about yeah. keeping this band together for, for 40 years and being so prolific. The release has come out. You have a new one coming out soon. We grew, uh, we grew up on AM radio. Um, talk to me about yeah. sort of keeping it together for all this time. Well, I mean, 
from my perspective is you have to like the people you play with. It's, you know, and, and maybe you start off liking the people and they, it changes, but you have to be, I think it takes a certain amount of understanding of each other. And then you have personal respect and, and, and then musical respect. Right. Um, so I think we have a lot of respect for one another. Um, and it's kind of, I guess the, the only way I can explain this is at least from my perspective is when I first started to sing with Greg, we didn't have to develop how to sing like that. Right. We sang as if just like you hear in any of those records, that's how we sang the very first time we sang together. You know, when I was 20 or whatever I was when I, when I started singing with Greg. So I think we always knew, Hey, this is something we feel this is something special. Um, and, uh, that's, I think, you know, even when things were tough or frustrated with something or another, um, I think we always could, you know, you know, lean back on that and go, you know what, this is something that we feel is special to us. And uh, as long as we feel that way, I think that's what's kept us together. And I think we've always felt that, always felt that way. Um, I don't know if that's sort of my answer to that. Yeah. I, yeah, it's so, I was just going to say, it's also with, uh, you know, with John, uh, putting tremendous effort into pushing the band forward and, you know, my involvement in the band and, and actually the tremendous amount of work that we've just completed. Uh, it's very, uh, beyond ironic that John passed right after he uh, contributed along with the rest of the band to so much new material, uh, recorded, uh, music and videos. And then for him to pass, I mean, we, we were at a point with the band was just making a, an effort to kind of make a sort of big kind of splash and a big surge with the new music and with the videos. And, uh, you know, I attribute a lot of that to uh, John's, uh, you know, forward thinking and, and, and his ability to make things happen, you know, and to, to take the band to another level along, of course, with the other members of the band. But uh, it's just, uh, as I said, beyond ironic that he was the past right when we were about to kind of do a whole, uh, have a new whole new phase of the band. But uh, so be it. I mean, as Finn said, uh, it's really we're doing this tour in the UK as a, basically as a tribute to John. It was already booked, you know, prior to his passing. And, uh, you know, with all the new music and, and you know, John uh, really, uh, it was really no problem for John. What was, what did John, what did, Finn, what did John always say? If, if there's no, if there's uh, no, if there's solution, no solution, there's no problem. That's correct. If there's no solution, there's no problem. Right, and, but he and, was one to make make the problems go away where there was where there really wasn't any problem uh, in the most adverse circumstances at times, as far as you know, getting to a gig or uh, you know, in, in, uh, something needed to be done uh, ASAP. Don was uh, the person who was able to 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 uh, make that happen in a lot of ways. Anyway, yeah, sad to see that he's, he's not around to see the band now. Yeah, because the the, the, I mean, the band I've been listening to the singles and stuff, and the band sounds great. So yeah, what were you gonna say, Finn? I I mean I mean Clem really sums that up pretty well. I mean it it it, it, it you know and and to to answer that, I mean it's I think what's kept us together and and is a bond, and I think that we're 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 doing new things, or we're, you know we feel that we still have something we have to say. We have work we need to have done, and I think we you know. With John, you know, it's like we've, I don't know how many songs we've recorded in the last six years and written, 
you know, as a band, you know, it's like something like 130 songs or something. I forget the number. It's a ridiculous amount of, of, of volume. And um, I think that's part of the motivator, too. It's like we just feel we have a job to do and, and, and it's just a drive. And John was a, a large part of, of <clears throat> helping, you know, us focus on it. And, you know, he was influential, influential as, as well. And so it's, you know, it is sort of, it is so odd to all of us, the, the timing of things. It's just very, very, uh, unusual. And, um, you know, we're all still trying to be comfort one another. And I think music is the best healer or a great healer for all of us. And I, I definitely felt when we came together and played after John's passing, it really was like, it was like a therapeutic thing. We needed to do this. And yeah, I, it was and cathartic. I it was cathartic. Yeah. Sure. It, yeah, it and, really uh, is. Um, uh, go, go ahead. No, no, that's. Okay. I mean, Clem said it exactly correct. That's that's exactly what it was, and uh, um, it, it, there is this kind of thing with music. I've always I've always thought, even in a dark time, you know, there's that that little when you play together, when you're playing music, music's like that little voice in your head saying, "Hey, Finn, it's okay." You know, it's like that little. It's like it's like that. You can't quite put your finger on it. And it's not always there for you, but when you really need it, but you don't call on it, it's it's like this comforting, uh, you know, feeling that you have. And uh, I definitely, you know, I, I definitely experienced that many times in my life, and no more than than you know, a couple of weeks ago when all this happened, and we we came together, and it seems as we're, we've had tremendous support from you know all the people that have known John and all the people that know us. Have been very, very supportive of us and and our journey. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 I love supporting bands like the Tearaways. Uh, I'll, Clem, I'll throw this to you because we do have uh, we grew up on AM radio coming out in uh, 2017. Blondie put out Pollinator. Talk to me about the importance of making new music and not just going out there and going through the motions and playing the greatest hits, but actually staying active as a musician, staying active creatively. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, when we first came back together with Blondie in, in the uh, late 90s, uh, kind of like our manifesto was to make new music. We didn't really want to just get back together and go out and play in some sort of, you know, casino circuit and just kind of be gratified by only doing that. So I think the reason we're, we've been able to continue, uh, it's always it's past uh, 20 years actually since we regrouped, which is kind of hard to believe because we've been together, the three of us, Chris, Debbie, and myself, we've been together longer this time than the first time around, which is so incredible. Um, you know, we uh, got together and just started writing new songs. And then when we uh, basically relaunched the band and rebranded the band with the song Maria, uh, we found that people really liked that song around the world. And it was number one in a lot of territories. And it really uh, gave us the, uh, the uh, you know, the impetus to, uh, to continue and, to, and kind of to not really even to begin again. It was really like a continuation, uh, which is why that record that had Marie on it was called No Exit, because we kind of felt like we were never going to escape Blondie, so to speak. But as we continue, uh, the same thing goes with the Tearaways. Uh, you know, to make new music and to be creative is really 
what it's about as far as being a, a musician, if you're writing your songs and, you know, to just go out and, and rehash songs uh, over and over without uh, any new uh, material injected into it would become pretty boring uh, for, for most people. So um, luckily with Blondie, we were able to uh, continue to make new music and we had some relatively good success with the pollinator record, especially in the UK. I got to number four in the British charts. And yeah, it, like you said, it's very important as a musician and as a creative person to make uh, new art, to make new music. So without that, I don't think uh, we would be able to endure. And I think that's without new music, the Terraways really wouldn't be able to endure. Um, so uh, yeah, it's very, very important uh, to do that. And of course, when we got back together with Blondie, we were right at the cusp of the music business changing very drastically as far as how people listened, how they uh, purchased, et cetera, et cetera. So we were lucky enough to be able to put out that first album, No Exit, while basically the old uh, business uh, plan was in effect. So that really helped us to kind of re-energize the band. And then after that, of course, dealing with uh, everything that happened in the music business, not to mention we were recording the second album during uh, 9-11 and uh, down in, uh, in uh, you know, Tribeca in lower Manhattan, right, obviously where the World Trade Center was. So that kind of uh, prohibited us from recording for some time uh, after that. And, uh, you know, but we're still here uh, as Blondie. We just completed a tour with Elvis Costello and the Imposters, which was very successful. And uh, I'm happy as a, once again, as being a, a creative person, I'm really happy to jump right into this whole uh, Pirouette's tour because the Blondie tour just ended a couple of days ago, actually. And I, was, I ended in Seattle. I wound up staying up there and seeing the, the Rolling Stones the other night in Seattle, which was also very inspiring. They truly are the world's greatest rock and roll band. And uh, that's what it's all about, really. Uh, it's just making new music. Whether or not it sells, whether or not anybody hears it, that's really up to the general public. But as the individual artist, it's important to always move forward. So I think that's what we're doing. Yeah, and, and you're doing it well. And, and by the way, the, the Rolling Stones, when you think about it, they're they're heading up to their 60th anniversary. And it's like, holy right. mackerel. You know, who would have ever thought? <laughs> I, was um, enough, right? I was lucky enough to spend a good 45 minutes chatting with, with Charlie Watts the other night, and that was in itself a wonderful, uh, inspiring experience. And uh, luckily enough, I was able to do that. And I'm really, I'm still kind of elated from that conversation that we had. And then the show, of course, was, was very good too, with, including all the mistakes that they made, which is always very enduring. But you know what? Uh, Alan Niven, who manages Guns N' Roses and who co-hosts the show with me, always used to say or always says that the, there's, an, it, there's a perfection in the imperfection and that's sure. what makes right, and that's what makes that's right. early albums great. That's what makes albums from the seventies and sixties great. They were they weren't auto tuned or pro tooled to death. You you know, I'm sure you, you could listen to a Blondie album and find somewhere you're ahead of the beat. Or, but that's no, what absolutely. makes it great. That's what makes it great. Well, unfortunately, um, con contemporary contemporary pop music has become homogenized, and what I would call rock and roll. I mean, I've said this many times before. I, it's analogous to really what, to jazz, more or less nowadays. You know, there's a huge following for it, but it's not really pop music. It's not popular in the way it once was. And what's considered to be pop music is obviously not rock and roll. So uh, there's a niche market for 
for rock and roll. And yeah, sometimes a mistake uh, is, the, is the best thing about a song, you know, uh, unintentional uh, change, uh, change up somewhere in the music can kind of inspire another change that turns it into something completely different than it set out to be. And the mistakes, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a perfection in the imperfection in a way. Like oh, absolutely. The, the human, yeah, the humanism of, of, of music, it's, you know, it should be, you know, we, we, I always thought it should be played by humans. And, uh, you know, they call that a happy mistake, right? Like, oh, I didn't mean to do that, but listen how cool that is. Um, well, it's supposed to have soul. I mean, Auto-Tune yeah. and Pro Tools doesn't have soul. No. Right. And also the, the performance of the backing tracks, I guess they're relying on the soul to come from the singer, which is fair enough, you know. But uh, I always tell younger musicians, for instance, drummers, when they're playing to click tracks, for instance, programs, that's all fine as a guide. It shouldn't really completely dictate to you the way you should be playing. And, uh, you know, the common, like what we did on Pollinator really was incorporate the modern technology along with our producer, John Congerson, uh, uh, and, and also the basic uh, roots of the band and the, and the uh, chemistry within the band and kind of use that as the starting point. And of course, bring in technology as, as we mix and as it went along and, you know, modern day synthesizers and things like that. But so it's really a, a, a melding of the two uh, kind of uh, formats, platforms, kind of really is what would really make a, a kind of a perfect record. I think too much is, emphasis is placed on the technology in modern day pop music and not in the performance by humans. Yeah, I agree. And uh, we'll finish with this because yeah. we're, we're up to half an hour. But I, I will throw this uh, to Clem. Clem, you, you've recorded with all kinds of bands, all kinds of music. Eurythmics, uh, Iggy Pop, uh, Dramarama, Pete Townsend, The Romantics, Blondie, of course. Um, talk, talk to me about the styles. Do you adjust what you do to fit that style? Or do you, are, you, are you just Clem and they get what Clem does? Do you know what I mean? Like... How do you sort of do these different projects, including the Tearaways? Is there different drummers within you, or do they just get what you do? Well, it's a combination of both of those things. But I think in general, for instance, when I was working with Dave Stewart and Annie Lennox, they were fans of myself and of Blondie and were very happy uh, to have me go to Germany with them and record with them on their very first album, which is basically the one that really didn't sell. And it was a great opportunity for me to go to Germany and work with the, the, the noted producer, Connie Plank, in his studio in Neunkirchen, uh, outside of Cologne. And so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a domino effect, uh, or it's a, a give and take on both ends. I mean, I certainly learned quite a bit from working with Dave and Annie and Connie that I was able to bring back to the table, you know, when I did my next Blondie project. And, uh, you know, I think people do want to get me for what I do, but my influences are such, getting back to the Wrecking Crew, for instance, I mean, Hal Blaine, Earl Palmer, they were consummate drummers, but they did play all kinds of music. I mean, Hal Blaine played on the Monkees, he played on the Beach Boys, he played with, on, with, with Phil Spector. I mean, there was a big, huge palette of music, of music there. And, I, that, and also, you could apply that to, to Ringo Starr, to Charlie Watts, you know, to many people. So David Bowie was always a, a template for us with Blondie, where his music was always changing. You never knew what to expect. So uh, I think to be, uh, for lack of a better well, well, word, to be well-rounded and to have uh, an openness about, certainly with Blondie, with doing everything from Rapture to Titus High to 
maybe things that I wasn't really particularly on board with 100%, you know, disco music, which I do love. Um, you know, you have to be open-minded. I mean, and that, that's a big part of the success of Blondie is the open-mindedness we had to the, uh, the various musical influences that were out there. And, of course, the Beatles, you never knew what to expect from them. Um, but I'm, I'm able to. I mean, I worked with Nancy Sinatra, you know, and, uh, you know, that some of the stuff was more sort of jazz-oriented. I mean, I, I'm able to adapt. But my role models really are Earl Palmer and Hal Blaine from The Wrecking Crew, which is why I'm so overjoyed and excited that for somehow we came up with this Wrecking Crew song that's kind of taken on a life of its own. And, uh, you know, it's like a three-minute musical history lesson uh, in a song. So, uh, yeah, I- I'm fortunate. You left out Mr. Dillon, which is kind of my ultimate highlight. Uh, yes. Bob yes. I, but, I, uh, I, you know. Music is music. You know, the way I, when I grew up on Top 40, like the name of the album, we grew up on AM radio. It was such an eclectic mix, you know, everything from Frank Sinatra to the Rolling Stones to Dean Martin to the Beatles to Louis Armstrong, uh, Novelty Records, the Archies. You know, that's really the whole kind of template of assimilated musical influences within the Tearaways, for instance, which is what I have in common with those guys and which is what Blondie was always about. The Ramones were a great band, but they kind of had a tunnel vision. They really did only have one way of doing things. And also the Sex Pistols, for instance. There wasn't real much diversity in their music. And I think that was really prohibitive to their uh, success in a lot of ways, you know. With Blondie, it was like an anything goes. It always was. And, you know, we loved the bubblegum music. We loved soundtracks. We loved, uh, you know, the Rolling Stones. We loved the Ronettes girl groups, the Shangri-Las. Uh, you know, I particularly love the Bay City Rollers and, and, and the Ohio Express bubblegum music, which I think is really a, a neglected musical art form that's kind of going to have a renaissance one day or another. And, uh, you know, it's just, you, know, you have to be open-minded. And I think when people ask me to work with them, I think they're open-minded to uh, accepting me and seeing what I have to bring to the party, you know. That's basically how it's, I've been lucky in that way. But I am adaptable. I can definitely adapt. Yeah, and, and by the way, you're the first person to ever reference the Bay City Rollers, but who doesn't love Saturday <laughs> night and keep on dancing? And come on, that's, that, that is some well, classic stuff. Yeah, it's great. I mean, prior to, prior to uh, punk rock, they were really the only ones that was do, were doing something that created kind of a, this, this, this frenzy, you know, amongst their fans. And, and the music was obviously very... I don't want to say minimal, but it was rock and roll oriented. I mean, they did that rock, rock and roll love letter song is a tremendous song. And it was at a time when most people were tuning into like Yes and ELO, EL, I mean, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and things like that, which, were, which is fine too. But there was, they, they, they were only ones that really kind of had that sort of whole sort of a pop-topian, uh, 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 you know, outlook was, was the Bay City Rollers, you know. And the, the music was, uh, particularly those, those songs, they were very... Uh, you know, they, they were uplifting, similar to like the Raspberries, actually, one of my all-time favorite bands, really kind of got a bit of a bad rap for being sort of a bubblegum band when there was so much more to them as well. You know, Eric Carmen's a great singer, um, you know, those type of things, their harmonies, and it wasn't particularly in fashion either. So, uh, you know, it's all music. You know, there's only two kinds, someone once said, so I kind of subscribe to that. I agree. Uh, I, I think fun. I, I, we need more fun in music. Uh, anyway, right. always, 
thank you. Uh, the Tearways are on tour. The, the, the new uh, Manchester Girls single is out. Finn, thank you for setting this up. And uh, hey, we should do yep. it again. Thanks, Mitch. Okay, Mitch. Thanks for the I support, mean, Mitch. Absolutely. I mean, it's all out there. You know, just Google Google the Tearways if you want any more information. There's really no need to go into all the dot coms, et cetera. Just Google the Tearways, and uh, you know that that'll take you down the rabbit hole. Yeah, and and there we go. And as we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mitch. Cheers. Thanks, Mitch. Bye. Okay. Bye bye now. Okay. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. 